When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief in being. This is episode 123. I believe that you were created uniquely who you are and it's up to you to fully embrace that uniqueness and take that uniqueness and turn it into something extremely positive that is going to build the kind of spiritual muscle that our children so desperately need. Reverend Deborah J. Hopkins is a native New Yorker and a proud trans woman of color. She's a licensed non-denominational minister who continues to remain actively involved in ministry through pastoral care, writing, and community activism. She's the founder of There's Still Hope, a nonprofit organization that provides a transitional housing program in the Charlotte area for transgender adults, trans victims of domestic violence, and trans individuals released from the correctional institutional system. Through it all, she continues to spend time traveling around the country, advocating for marginalized people within the LGBTQIA community. She earned her Master's of Theology from New York Theological Seminary and is the author of three books and three anthologies, including her memoir, Not Until You Have Walked in My Shoes, A Journey of Discovery and the Spirit of the Human Heart. As an activist, Deborah believes words have power, and she believes we can all be a real voice for change through action, activism, and community involvement that will help put an end to the social and economic discrimination that's ever-present in this country. I am thrilled to have Reverend Deborah on the show today. (laughs) She is doing incredible work in this world, and I cannot wait for you to hear more of her story. As a heads up, this episode does contain descriptions of police violence and sexual assault. No announcements today, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Reverend Deborah, hi, welcome. Matthias, how are you, my friend? It is a pleasure. (laughs) How are you this afternoon? Oh, I am well. I am just so thrilled to have you on the show. So, so, I mean, thank you again for, for joining me. It is indeed my pleasure. I am, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So to start, uh, this is a question I ask everyone. How do you identify and how has your faith helped form that identity? I identify as a person of color, spiritual leader, parent of three, grandparent of eight, transgender woman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm curious how, I mean, your spiritual leader... How does that kind of fit in? Like, how does that faith practice kind of kind of form and, and, and permeate your life? I'd be curious in hearing about that. I think that as all of us, as we do self-discovery of development from our childhood all the way up through adult, we look for our foundational footing. And I knew that during the civil rights movement back in the 60s that I began to develop not only my voice, but a clear, a, a, a much deeper understanding of what my purpose and call was going to be. And I realized that I was being woven to be a voice through the ministry of the gospel. And so I really started to hone in on my voice speaking of God's love and and direction for, for humankind in all facets, how I was able to woven it together in the, the years of development 
along with my gender queerness was to begin to really take the shovel and dig deeper into the scriptures that I had studied for a long period of time and went through seminary school and was taught by some great minds to get the shovel out and actually dig deeper to get a deeper insight to the understanding, the context, and the essence of scripture that uh, really would have an effect not only on my life, but on the lives of the individuals that the creator would put before me or these those who would pass through my path in some point in time and would hear my voice in one form or another. And I wanted to emulate that. I wanted to allow the these individuals to really see the creator through me and still be able to embrace all of the authenticity of who the individual was as they represented the creator in their own unique way and pattern. So I'm curious, like, as you kind of started digging deeper into the text and and as you kind of um, found your identity more, uh, I mean, was that an easy journey for you? Was was it not? Like, I, w- I would love to hear about that. <laughs> no, it was not an easy journey for me. And even into adulthood, I struggled for a long time. Even after I had transitioned, I struggled for a long time. I kept a lot close to the breast and not shared with others because I didn't want to get the negative energy and thoughts and opinions of others. I really was trying to seek divine understanding through the presence of the Spirit along with my understanding of scripture and subtly asking questions that could allow me to find a deeper meaning or answer to uh, what I was seeking. And But the journey was a difficult one uh, because I have such a passion for for the work of our creator and uh, here on earth as a as a minister as a representative as a preacher as a teacher i have a great deep passion behind all of this and it's a conviction that i wear on my sleeves people talk about it so often that when they come in contact with me they know that there's a they feel they sense that that spiritual energy around me and when they discover that I am a trans woman who serves as a minister of the gospel and been in the ministry for as long as I've been, they want to learn a little bit more about how do you combat the two together and how it does it woven. And it wovens in the divine who created us, created us uniquely who each of us are. And I refuse to allow the naysayers especially in the faith-based communities who want to shed a negative light on the choice and the decision that I have made to use as a vehicle, because that's what I've done going forward. I use my transition as a vehicle to expand my audience to win souls to the Lord. But the journey wasn't easy. The journey was really difficult. I began, I struggled when I was in my childhood years, not understanding what was going on. And the family didn't help the situation much. They treated me very harshly in a lot of ways. But what was beautiful about it, I was continuing to seek answers in a lot of platforms. It wasn't really until I began I turned 12 where I was really starting to question what I was experiencing, what I was feeling, what I was thinking. And in my time, in the time that I was growing, coming into the world, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the access to the World Wide Web or social media platforms. A lot of the conversations that we were hearing, you know, through our parents where they were in those hush-hush adult conversations of, did you hear about that? person who wants to dress like a woman, or did you hear about that gay person? It was always that kind of thing. So I struggled with that. And it wasn't until I really, I had finished seminary school, in fact, (laughs) that I began to really recognize, okay, there was something else that was going on here. And it wasn't until the birth of the internet, it was in the infancies of the internet, 
And in my book, not until you have walked in my shoes, I'm an author. <laughs> and uh, in the book, I talk about the that particular part of the journey because I had met Christina Jorgensen in one of her last appearances here in the United States. I had skipped school that particular day and had met her, got an autographed copy of her, her autobiography, and she said something to me that I took directly at me that I took to to heart and I continue to use even in ministry. And she said to me at the time was to be as authentic as you can and search the internet. I use that same language when I'm talking to young ministers who are developing. I says, use the tools that God has given you. We have such a wealth with the internet that it allows me to say, listen, there's an answer to everything that you seek. Use the tools that the Creator has given you. And the World Wide Web, if used properly, can teach you a lot of things and help you along with the journey. And that's exactly that helped me with my struggles when it came to passages of scripture that we call in our community clobber, the clobber verses that a lot of the faith-based um, organizations that really are against the LGBTQIA community as a whole will use that I struggled with because they are convicting and very piercing passages of scripture. And I'm always reminded that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It's going to cut you going in and it's going to cut you going out. And I use that metaphoric analogy of that passage of scripture as a metaphoric surgery that is being done that convicts the individual and is helping to shape, develop, and craft the individual. And so it created a struggle and some very difficult roads to travel and mountains to climb. And I liken myself like Moses in the wilderness. I wandered for a long time preaching and teaching, but struggled and didn't have a a faith base, didn't have confidence to be able to convey because there was an, an enormous amount of fear, anxiety that created patches of deep, dark depressions, even to the point of, of thoughts of suicide, even later on in life, acts of uh, the attempt of suicide. But the journey was difficult. And I had to find some really divine answers. And those answers came with very subtle reminders of community, which was really important for me, therapy, which was really important to me, and being honest in my conversations through those vehicles and through the study of Scripture and how the Scriptures, along with the spiritual musics that I enjoy so much, have really been a therapeutic medication for me to help bring about a healing and understanding and set me on a path that enabled me to be able to gain, not only regain the spiritual muscle, but the muscle that I would need to be able to operate as an activist, continue to preach with great conviction the Word of God, and to continue to work with others, especially with our young people in our society who are still trying to find themselves in this uh, very challenging world in which we live in. I hear all of this struggle that you're talking about, and, and also you're now talking about the kind of the strength and, and what you found in order to be an activist. And I'm really curious about, like, because I imagine, Reverend Deborah, like, a lot of the areas that you embody, I mean, as a Black trans woman who is a minister, like, those two things, being Black and trans, three things, and being a minister, that makes spaces hostile. Is that <laughs> fair to say? <laughs> you you missed one platform. You missed and being a woman. And being a woman, <laughs> yes. A woman. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So you put me on all of those platforms. You're talking and one that which is surprising to a lot of people, when I open my mouth, they'll sit there and say, 
And there's a level of intelligence that comes from you because they think that women are stupid. But in fact, we are some intelligent beings on earth. Okay. Yes, so yes. you have all of these <laughs> negative connotations that have been so embedded over the centuries, over the decades and over the years that so many of us continue to teach their young ones to articulate and, and perform in their growing up years. And this is why we continue to have domestic violence and the rudeness and the behaviors, because we're teaching things that there was a culture that did it then, but we've moved into a more sophisticated level of understanding that even when you're speaking to a woman, there are some brilliant minds that are out there, but they still try to use those very subtle platforms to continue to try to control or deny, refuse, and bring harm upon the movement of what it is that you're trying to do. Being a woman, being a Black trans woman, and being an activist, and on top of it being a preacher, they're, they're ready to throw every, they're ready to throw me under the bus and hope the bus run me over, and then they all of a sudden, okay guys, we got you, and start to have a stream of buses come and continue to run me over to make sure that I'm dead. But we refuse to back down because there is so much that can be conveyed and, and we convey the truth of what life should be all about and how we're to be treated in the world in which we live in. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that many of your listeners will really recognize the importance of how we're to be treated equally. I love using the metaphor look in the mirror. It's the only, it's, I've never preached the same sermon twice. And uh, it's the one sermon that I want to preach again. I have been working on a book along those lines of look in the mirror, because until the individual, when, when, when an individual honestly look in the mirror and ask themselves the hard questions, and if they really want to be open, honest, and truthful about it, then they will have they will come up with their answers and i talk about the violence that's being displayed upon people that they are uncomfortable with or they don't think are doing the right thing and we talk about black and brown people and the atrocities that have been inflicted on my people for <laughs> for what for centuries <laughs> okay so we're we're talking about um looking in the mirror and asking the question, one of the hard questions is, if that was one of your loved ones who you have a great, deep, abiding love for, would you want them to be treated the way some of us are being treated? And so I really love asking questions like that to really get their answer. And it sparks a conversation that I love to get in, in, involved with because I, I want to take you to another level of your thought process. You're going to throw whatever darts and arrows at me, but I'm going to give you a second thought about something and I'm going to put you in the shoes that I operate in and ask you those hard questions and, how, and ask yourself, how would you feel? How would you honestly feel? A lot of our parents say to our children so very often, especially in those early years, that's my baby. I love you. You can come to me and tell me, talk to me about anything. And then when they discover some of the things that as an adult we don't care to want to hear or listen to, and a lot of it is centered around that pride that we have and the thoughts of what, uh, what our community that we center in are going to think about us. And we cast our children out and we find so many of our children not having a home. And you wonder what's wrong with our society today. Well, it starts back within the home in the first place, because if we truly are followers of the Creator, and if we truly, I don't care how you identify in your religious beliefs, but if you truly follow the Creator, and if you truly rest on the platform of love, then the question you have to ask yourself is, would this be how God would want to treat this person who God blessed me with bringing into the world? You're preaching. <laughs> I haven't started preaching yet. <laughs> I haven't started preaching yet. <laughs> I'll give you a brief moment of it in a minute. Okay. Great. <laughs> 
I, it's, it's, so, I mean, you, you mentioned parents throwing kids out of their homes. And, and I know you run a ministry that provides housing support for uh, trans and gender nonconforming people in Charlotte. I'd love to hear about how you even got into doing that work. <laughs> that's, a, that's really a simple answer. I was homeless in Charlotte for two and a half years. Let me back that up a little bit. Let me back it up a little bit. I was living in Alabama at the time. Um, Well, now it's 11 years ago. But I was back in 2007. I was living in Alabama, and I was leaving a place of business one evening. And I stopped at a traffic light, and a police officer pulled up behind me. Didn't pay it any attention, got on the parkway, was headed home. I was exhausted. By the time I got off of my exit ramp, there were eight police cars that had surrounded me. I was arrested that evening and was charged with robbing a local bank, not once, but twice in the same day. I was frustrated with not getting, according to the police report, I was frustrated at the drive through that I didn't get what I wanted because I was this 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 robbing of the bank was supposed to be centered around me actually trying to get raise money for as they said back in the day sex reassignment surgery we call it uh gender recertification today <laughs> but I was so frustrated that I parked the car in, I drove through drive through parked the car in and in, in, and went inside and went at gunpoint to the teller to rob the bank and I spent the better part of a year and a half trying to clear my name but was so taken through the mud by the courts the prosecuting attorney including the judge I experienced being raped several times while I was in their custody that they continue to deny to this day and all of that. They refused to allow me to go and be examined and what have you. And so I was convinced that I had to get out. After I had cleared my name, I was convinced that I had to get out of the uh, city and relocate somewhere else. And I had been thinking about that in the first place. I had moved there from the Atlanta, Georgia area to start a church, which was my second church that I had um, started and ran for 11 years in the Alabama area. And it was centered around homeless mothers with children. And so it struggled financially. But for 11 years, I uh, had a a really healthy uh, young ministry there. So, but it was time for me to move on. And that incident caused me to move on. And I moved because of a cousin of mine here who talked me into moving to Charlotte. I was actually going to move to the beach area because that's my haven. But they talked me into moving in Charlotte. And within a short span of time of about six months, I began to lose my eyesight. I developed diabetic retinopathy, and I lost my eyesight for roughly about five, six months. I wasn't getting help from any of the um, programs that uh, city offered, and so I struggled for quite a bit of time where I no longer could walk f- work for corporate America. During that span, I fell down a flight of stairs not once but twice in a six-month period, did some major damage to the lower part of my back that at times uh, affects my memory and has uh, affected my motor skills in terms of being able to control a pen to write my name in children-like form. And so uh, I no longer could work for corporate America. I no longer could earn a living. And because I was struggling with trying to find some recovery. Again, I'm coming out of Alabama, struggle to try because I lost everything. I had to pay for my own private investigator, had to pay for all the court costs, so had to put my house on the market. I blew all of my life savings to try to clear my name. And here I'm in now in Alabama. Now I no longer can see and I'm struggling. So I became homeless and I remained homeless for two and a half years. And in that two and a half year experience. I was cast out of the men's shelter. And if you ever see a picture of me, you would understand why. But I was also denied the women's shelter because I refused to do a strip search for them. 
But I would also, throughout my journey, I would see in our places of, of services how mothers and young children were being denied access to the services that the city provide. But I was also beginning to see a lot of the members of the LGBT community being ostracized and cast out and mistreated. And so I made a vow to myself that when I get back up on my feet, because I already I knew that I was going to get back up on my feet at some point in time. When I got back up on my feet, I wanted to figure out how I was going to give back to the community. And of course, I really ramped up, once I was able to do that, I ramped up my level of activism I use as a model, be a voice for change. And I love, love doing that by doing it by example, not just being a voice, but being an, an example as well. So I would go into our government centers, both locally and statewide, and eventually there in Washington, really advocating on the welfare of the LGBT community in terms of its equal rights, especially in particular for our children who were going through school and so forth. And so that was really important. But then I began to really remember the plight that I was going through and was starting to listen to more and more stories of the transgender adults who were living homeless and were being denied access into either the men's shelter or the women's shelter, or however they were identified. And even when they were able to get access, the treatment that they were dealing with, and I knew that was true because I personally had experienced it myself. And so I says, okay, I need to find an answer to this. So there was a young couple here that wanted to create a housing program that I helped them write their bylaws and articles of incorporation, helped them create the program, got it off the ground where we had an investor who actually provided a four-bedroom house fully furnished for the homeless community of the transgender community. And the couple decided to move to New York. The program fell apart. Within six months, I was in bed. I was two, three o'clock in the morning, one of those epiphanies that came into being where I was led to create a, an emergency temporary shelter. And the name jumped out right at me because when, I, when the vision came to me, it was like a bursting star. And if you ever see the logo of There's Still Hope, you see the bursting star and the name came right after it. There's Still Hope. And I use as that motto, brighter tomorrows begin with you. There's always hope. And I believe that wholeheartedly. So I created this transitional housing program for up to seven days for transgender adults ages 24 and above. And it wasn't until April of 2020, at the real height of uh, the beginning of the pandemic, when the city was being was was now going into lockdown, the country was going into a major lockdown, that the need became even greater. And so I had to take this program and convert it to something else. So I converted an extended stay program into a transitional housing program. And it was all resting on my experience living homeless for two and a half years, the lack of support and help that I got in including from my cousin who talked me into moving here, who abandoned me, which is really surprising because she was an educator who had a five-bedroom house but would not take me in. <laughs> and so I was not only frustrated with family, but I was, I was angry with the system, and I was even more angry with the church because you would, you would have thought they would have come to the rescue and it was the lowest point of my ministry career because, and my view on the church because I began to see the hypocritical behaviors of the so-called evangelical community out there that claims to serve the same God that I serve, but did not truly put into practice what I believed. And so there were some levels of doubt and frustration, but through it all, even in my book, I, I, there are moments where you, you'll find on some of the pages where 
I rewrote the prayers that I spoke to God during these challenging times, and especially when I was being raped at the time, and the conversations that I was having with God at the time that really continued to provide the strength that I needed, the, the, the hope that I needed to hang on until I was able to, until I was able to get back up on my feet in a way that could really allow me to stand like an oak tree again in a hurricane with the winds blowing become a palm tree going right to left, but still standing strong with deep roots, but then really being a voice as an activist and then taking that voice from the public and then turn it into physical action. And that's the process of There's Still Hope today. It is a physical manifestation of the gospel that I preach and teach each and every day, but the example that I live of a supreme being that dwells within me for others to see how it's practiced and used here on earth. And I continue to paint that portrait each and every day through the work that I do, the conversations that I have, and they become real talk for me. And I love capturing the ears of the listeners simply because I think that it's important that they understand that we are all created with a purpose. We need to find what that purpose is, and we need to put the energy of what the Creator has given us to full use so that the divine can use us in a way that can make a positive difference in the world and in the lives of those whom he puts in our pathway to to change. Hey, y'all, I wanted to tell you about a new resource that I have up on my website. It's a masterclass that I recorded with Linda K. Klein. If you haven't heard of Linda, she's the author of the book Pure, Inside the Evangelical Movement that Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free. So Linda and I last year sat down and recorded a masterclass called Four Practices You Can Start Now to Move Beyond Shame. If you were around for my book launch, you're you're aware we were giving away that for free. Now we're making it available to everyone. So if you want that masterclass, it's free. (laughs) Just head over to my website, MatthiasRoberts.com. It'll be the first thing that you see on there. Just click, I want the masterclass, put in your email address, and I will send you the masterclass right away. Four practices you can start now to move beyond shame. It's an incredible resource. Most of it's Linda's work, really embodied practices that you can start wherever you are at on your journey with shame. So highly recommend it. MatthiasRoberts.com. I hope you enjoy it. As you're talking about and, and telling us this this story of, of I mean so many things, so much struggle, this question of like keeping the faith is really fascinating to me because because I know a lot of people who listen to this show, myself included, there's a lot of wrestling that happens, especially you know kind of as a queer person and and you know as, even as we get further into the margins, like how to keep a faith (laughs) in the midst of how difficult it is when the majority of the church doesn't even want us. I'd be curious, like, how, where did you find that rooting, that ground? I mean, you've mentioned some of it, but what was that process like? You know, Matthias, you know, what's really interesting is that social media has been detrimental to the, this culture in many interesting ways. And for those of us who identify in the queer fashion, I don't necessarily embrace the word queer because I am not a queer, but if you want to say that I'm queer, well, I can let you know that the scriptures do remind me that all of God's children are aliens and we're just visitors here. So that's a little queerness on my part. Okay. So yeah. Okay. If you want to embrace the queerness, that's great. Social media has really distorted a lot of it. And I preached this once. There's so much information out there through television, radio, newspaper, the conversations that we uh, pick up in church or in our communities and workplace that are all negative or all 
designed to create doubt and create confusion or create concerns and fears. And a lot of us really struggle in that arena. But I have really found a great antidote to that for my salvation and that provides the kind of spiritual strength necessary. I really do sit on the promises of the Creator, the promises of the Creator that or however you want to identify the Creator, he or she or however, said they would never leave us nor forsake us. And I believe in that. And so I find those tools that helps to continue to build that spiritual muscle that I need constantly each and every day when I go out into the world and have to deal with all of the distractions that the adversary is going to place in my direction to the coming back and having to unwind from all of that negative energy. I find the spiritual solace through my continued study in scripture and through the spiritual musics that enables me to find a restful comfort. And in that meditative period of listening to music and studying scriptures or having conversation around scriptures with other like-minded spiritual believers who are in their queerness want to talk about the goodness and the love and the passion of God and how they had an interaction with a soul in the community or in the world. And it was a positive one. These are the energies that build the spiritual muscle and gives me the strength to rest in the assurance that I serve a God that understands that we are all sinners. We were born into a sinful nature and a sinful world. But I use as a powerful, and it's a powerful scripture that I use on all of my, my um, letterhead, emails, or what have you, in closing, which is always from 2 Samuel, the 14th chapter, and if memory serves me correctly, the seventh verse, and I'll paraphrase the verse, is it said, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the inner. God's looking at the heart. My heart is for my queer community to find strength, to find the love of the God that I talk about in their world and the acceptance in their world and the assurance that even when the outside world that throws all that negative energy at you, there's a God that still embraces you. And all I ask that you do is that you embrace that creator back by doing what? Staying, cultivating that relationship with the creator, strengthening that, And we do that through meditation. We do it through the study of scripture. We do it through being with like-minded individuals who want to continue to cultivate that, that spiritual base of understanding and strength. We find it through the spiritual musics that really speaks to the soul of uh, humankind and really begin to try to operate in that, but then take those, those energies and take that understanding and make it a part of the work. This platform that we're on tonight, that you're holding this beautiful conversation with me on, is allowing you to be a voice, to be able to share an energy with your listeners of the positive goodness of a God that we serve that can really make a difference in a negative world in which we live in. But we don't have to wallow in the mud like all of the others that are out there. We have to find what I consider safe havens, where we can be surrounded by others who can provide that kind of support. And I recommend very highly people of faith who really are supportive and understanding and want to talk about the goodness of God, the love of God, not the damnation of God, because we already know that this is a world that is going to fall. We understand that. But God is looking for soldiers that are going to make a difference, that are going to help to make a difference in the lives of those who are disenfranchised, the most marginalized, the ones that are where harm is being brought upon, to try to find ways to end homelessness, to try to find ways to 
provide education uh, that is going to make our young people prosperous, to make them feel loved and, and enable them to have the kind of energies to make a difference in the world, to begin to change the systemic culture and make it a culture that is positive, that will embrace all of God's creation, however they identify, however they, the way they express themselves. Because if we still remember from Jeremiah that we are created in the image of God, remember in Genesis, we are created in the image of God and therefore he formed us. And so therefore I embrace all of that and it gives me that spiritual muscle. It gives me everything that I need to deal with and trust me going out into the world, sitting on social media, going on, I know how to shut down some of those platforms. You don't, you know, to, to some of your listeners, they don't need to be on social media and listening to all of that negative nonsense that's out there. Find platforms that really will speak to the energy of the personality of who you are and what you're trying to strive for in life, but also to find spiritual and uh, spaces where you can find others who are going to provide the kind of support because believe it or not, like a baby who grows, we got to build muscle and that requires time and you have to isolate yourself or surround yourself around others who can help provide that to give you that kind of mental and spiritual strength that is physically going to help you. I can go anywhere today and do just about anything I want. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be on the beach in my two-piece bikini, okay? Yes. <laughs> and I'm just going to be me and just relax and rest my brain and just embrace the beauty of life and feel the creator through the breeze, the ocean, the sounds of the ocean, the chatter of others that are out there watching the children play and all of that. Those things give me great solace and they remind me that I still serve a God that's a God of love, that's a God of patience, that is a God of understanding, that is a God of hope and opportunity. And I embrace all of that. I love sharing those things with others because I want them to know that in this world in which we live in, who want to deny you and tell you that the choice that you made, the direction that you're going, you're going to be destroyed for it. And I would like to counteract that with letting them know that you're not God. The God that I serve tells me that he loves me and I know he loves me and I embrace it and I walk with that kind of confidence. I don't walk with my head held low. I walk with it held high because I know through the promises that the creator has made that I am somebody. You've used the language of spiritual muscle a lot today. And it's such an interesting term because, and you've said some of this, like it, it implies exercise, right? Like it implies that we have to do some work to build or rebuild that muscle. I'd love if you could say a little bit more about that, of framing that as a muscle. Oh, absolutely. Because like many of us in today's culture in particular are health fanatics. And we, we have to retrain our body from eating some of the negative foods that have done great harm to many of us out there. I'm, I'm a recipient of one. I'm, I'm healthy, but I suffer from diabetes. And that has a lot to do with a lot of the poor foods that were out there. So we retrain our body to begin to eat more healthy foods. And we'd likewise do the very same thing when we go to the gym to have the buff body. Hey, at my age, I can walk in a two-piece bikini and people will ask me, oh, do you still work out? Well, yes, I do, but uh, I do a little different workout than they do, but um, <laughs> I still have a yard <laughs> to clean up and things like that. Instead of hiring somebody, I go ahead and I, I do the work myself. It helps to keep me trim and fit and healthy. But uh, like we send our children off the school, we have to exercise that educational mind muscle. So we're always building on that muscle concept. And so I use that metaphor in the spiritual realm as well. 
for those who want to continue to practice their spiritual beliefs and continue to cultivate their a deeper relationship like any relationship that you have with your earthly partners and friends and families and children and all of that. You cultivate those relationships by having picnics and barbecues and other things that you do as a social group uh, to cultivate that relationship. From a spiritual standpoint, you cultivate that relationship as well with the creator. And that means you need to be in the word constantly to build on the assurance that and rest on the promises because you can't remember everything in there, but you can remember some of the major promises that were granted in there that we know that God is not one to be mocked. God is not one that is going to go against what he promised for you. You understand what I'm saying? And if you embrace that, just like a good parent who tells their children, if you abide by my rules, mom, I need to, I want to go out with my friends. Okay, be home at 11. If you come home at 1130, then you're going to be punished for it. Well, that's the same thing with God. And so we want to make sure that we're in God's good graces. And so we want to take on the practices of God. Now, there are going to be some things that we're going to find in Scripture that are going to make us feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I talked about some of the uh, those Scriptures that make me feel uncomfortable. Okay, I know that they're there, but I don't spend a lot of time on those Scriptures because, first of all, I put them in the context in which it was written and knew when it was written. I also know who I am. And as I said with my motto scripture from 2 Samuel 14, 7, that what you look at on the outside, I want you to know that God sees what's going on on the inside. And so be careful how you judge me. Again, the title of my book, Not Until You Have Walked in My Shoes. Be careful how you're judging others until you have actually walked in their shoes. God knows who you are. And so you want to build that spiritual muscle. And I talked about three things in particular, surrounding yourself around supportive people who have like-minded thoughtfulness like you do, especially in the spiritual realm, who really just want to talk about the goodness of God and the love of God and how you, how we collectively can make a difference in the world in which we operate to build, continue to help build spiritual muscle in the minds and in the hearts of others who are struggling, in particular our children who are more and more as each passing year comes into being. We're getting younger and younger generations who are recognizing their queerness and are struggling with it. They need that love and support from adult members of the community who once went through those same struggles. I call it the adolescent roller coaster ride that so many of us go on. And I'll tell you, I don't care how large that roller coaster that you have ever been on is experience. If you been around an adolescent youth. They will take you on one of the wildest roller coaster rides. But as an adult, we need to provide the kind of support, the love, the understanding, and the ability to want to learn as much as we can to be as supportive as we possibly can. But that's like-minded in that spiritual muscle manifestation that I talk about. Also talk about music that really speaks to the soul of humankind. Embrace it. Let it speak to you. Let it continue to build that strength, that strength that taps into those platforms that uh, really lifts the love that dwells within you, the humanity, the, the goodness that dwells within you, all of these things to want to make a positive difference in the world in which we live in. These are the platforms that I talk about in terms of building spiritual muscle. I tell people all the time, I'm not hard to find. Go to my website, go to my Facebook page, send me an email. Those who have my phone number, give me a call. Love having conversations about spiritual things that sometimes you don't even know I'm talking about. I, I don't even have to bring up the creator or the spiritual realm, but I talk about the goodness of the spiritual realm the love for the LGBT community, our queer community in this pride season in which we live in. I talk about the assurance that the creator loves you no matter what the world around you wants you to believe. The creator loves you. The creator created you for purpose. I ask that you make a difference in the world in which you operate in. If it's working with some children, 
if it's working with elderly, if it's providing food for the hungry, or helping with some nonprofit organization that is trying to make a difference in the community in which you operate and find a base that you can help to make a difference because that's what you were created to do. And embrace all of who you are and walk in that truth, walk in authenticity, walk with an assurance that you know you're no different than anyone else. And if you really look at it, we can pick apart any individual who walked this earth. I remind people all the time of a passage of scripture that a lot of people don't really give a great thought to on the scripture. But you remember when Jesus was in the garden and he was praying just on the night that he was being betrayed. And he was praying and Jesus said to the creator to remove, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. But very quickly, Jesus repented and said, not my will, but your will be done. And then Jesus went on to be arrested, persecuted, taken to the cross to bear the burdens of the world. Here's what I tell my queer community when it comes to scripture. Not only the second Samuel's 14, seven passage that I talk about, man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. But I also talk about the conversation that Jesus, and it's the only thing that Jesus, well, it's the second one, that Jesus talked about in relation to queerness. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he said to Nicodemus, <laughs> the one passage of scripture that I rest everything on, that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, thou shalt be saved. I don't care what earthly flaws I might have. I don't care what the world says my earthly flaws might have. I don't think I have those flaws. But if you think I have a flaw, I do have a flaw. Okay, I embrace what that flaw is. I don't want to care to know about it, but I embrace it. You say I got a flaw, I got a flaw. But in truth, I rest on the promise that the Creator made. And what the Creator was telling to Nicodemus was that if you confess, believe in your heart. Many of us in our career community confessed. We believe in our heart, but got sidetracked, have struggled with because we, can listen, we continue to listen to all of those platforms and all of those voices that are trying to deny you access to the kingdom and the promises that the kingdom has uh, uh, promised you. And so we have this doubt and we operate in that doubt when I'm here to tell you to operate in the victory. And the victory is thou shalt be saved with this confession and this belief. I believe with all my heart that God is the center of my soul. That he's created me and able to make a difference in the community on the time that I'm here on earth. And I'm a, tr I'm a representative of what the creator looks like here on earth, even in my queerness. I have another piece that I'm going to quickly share. If any of you have ever seen the, have read the book and, and they turned it into a movie that I highly, highly recommend, and I'm trying to pull the name of the movie out, The Shack. The name of the movie is The Shack. And when I talk to the queer community, especially during Pride season, I talk about how the divine exemplifies themselves in every facet of who we are on the earth today. There's a section where God appears as a male, a section where he appears as a female. He exemplifies himself in the queerness. I, I, I love the way that movie was written. And someone said, I didn't see that. And so we watched the movie again. And as we were watching the movie, I'm now narrating through the movie with them to give them a more deeper insight. And I said, that's how I look at scripture. We, many in the evangelical community, look at scripture from the surface when there's more to it. And so I tell them to get the shovel out and start digging deeper. And one of the things that we have to understand is that we need to stop taking things out of context. We need to stop taking it from the period in which it was written. 
and begin to embrace the 21st century truth of what was written to be able to now navigate because the God that we serve still continues to speak to the hearts of his children each and every day. And we see it so often play out, even in some of the worst of conditions and the worst of situations. So I hope that your listeners will embrace the opportunities to connect with local communities that are supportive, especially that will help to build that spiritual muscle to serve the creator in unique ways, whether they are a lawyer or a doctor or an educator or just a plain old individual that want to make a difference in their community. We can do it by supporting other nonprofit organizations, going up to a young young person or going to a youth community center who are struggling with their identity and the way of life and having a conversation with them and talk about how to navigate in this very troubling world we live in, but can find victory, can find deep joy. And I'm telling you, I have deep joy in my life and enjoy and embrace a lot of my life simply because I refuse to allow the negative energies that are out there. When I go to a pride celebration and you get your church uh, organizations out there that are with their placards telling you that you're going to go to hell and they start quoting scriptures. Some of my friends love pulling me from the group because they know that I go into the center of the group and go toe-to-toe with them with scripture. <laughs> and it becomes comical because they 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 relent and it says, you know scripture. I says, I serve the same God that you serve, okay? And the, the God that I serve loves me just as much as he loves you. So I think that you need to refresh your thinking on what you're saying because you're not God. <laughs> we got enough troubles in this world with poverty and uh, racism and, and the bigotry of the world. We, we have an economic system that needs refining to put, in, put an end to homelessness and to elevate the level of education to enable all of its citizens to be able to earn a decent living and live the American way of life. These are the battles that we need to be working for. If we want to preach the gospel of truth to people, preach the gospel of love. Preach the gospel of understanding. Preach the gospel of hope. Let them know that if you feel that the life in which I'm living, to just say, just continue to exude, I'll continue to pray for you, but love me just the same, because that's what I'm going to be doing for you. Whether I see a good in you or a bad in you, I'm just going to continue to pray for you, because, hey, I'm not God. I'm just a voice exercising the truth of what God's Word says, and I let God, through the Spirit, speak to the heart of the listener, and however they choose to redefine their lives and change and do whatever it is that they need to do to be a better person on this earth, then I'm grateful for that. I rejoice. But I'm not here to tell anyone that your queerness is wrong because I don't believe that. I believe that you were created uniquely who you are, and it's up to you to fully embrace that uniqueness and take that uniqueness and turn it into something extremely positive that is going to build the kind of spiritual muscle that our children so desperately need and some of our olders who are walking the earth so desperately need to embrace. How can people support your work? I tell my spiritual community to continue to pray for their still hope, even if they can never remember the name of Reverend Deborah Hopkins, but that preacher, they can just say that preacher who's doing good work in the South, I pray for their spiritual wisdom, guidance, and understanding to do the work that I do. But for those who would love to support the work of There Still Hope, which is a nonprofit organization that provides traditional housing program to homeless transgender adults and non-binary who are 
find themselves homeless along with individuals who have been released from incarcerations and individuals who are dealing with domestic violence, can go to my website, tshcharlotte3.org. And if you want to give a donation, go to our donation page. No matter how large or small, it is tax deductible. And I would greatly appreciate for every donation that you give, you get a direct response from the director, me, with my thank you. I I love thanking everyone who goes to my website and leave words of encouragement or acknowledgement or even a donation. I respond directly back to their email to let them know just how appreciative I am because your donation helps, your contribution helps our program provide bus passes for them to go look for work or go and get the medical treatments that some of them need or training that some of them need. But it also helps us to purchase hygienic products for the homeless who don't take care of themselves like they should while they're living on the streets. And these small items really make a tremendous effort. We provide, for six months, we provide a studio-style shelter for them. We provide food for them. We provide laundry assistance for them, a bus pass to go and look for work, as I said before, or to go and get counseling or treatment. And so we, we offer a lot for our clients. And all we ask for our clients in return is to follow the guidelines, rules, and regulations to have full-time employment by the 91st day within the program and to go to the treatments if they are required to go. And that's that's all that we require to them do. In the second half of the program, the last three months of the program, they're working full-time. We ask them to establish a savings and checking account and begin, we, we do a two-week, a two-course, actually, basic money management training with them for those who actually need it. We ask them to begin to save their money because we're still paying for uh, everything for them in those final three months of the program. So by the time they get to the sixth month of the program, we help them with another nonprofit organization here in Charlotte. We help them with the first month deposit if they are able to get into an apartment or where we keep them housed at, which is a studio style accommodations. They will pick up the payments at that location but they become self-sustaining. And that's the ultimate goal of the program. And so if anyone wants to support the program, please go to our website, tshcharlotte3.org and do what you can. I so thank you for that. The, our guests who come through the program, thanks you. Ugh, well, and I... And- I thank you for joining me for all the work you're doing in the world. I mean, it's so incredible to hear about it. I'm really grateful. I am grateful, Matthias, for the work that you do, the beautiful program in which you have uh, developed. It is an example of me saying to the audience to be a voice for change because you can make a difference. A motto of mine, brighter days, brighter tomorrows begin with you. You're taking that initiative and making a brighter day, bringing about a brighter day, exemplifying and sharing with others that there is always hope. While we have breath in our bodies, while we have strength to be able to move in society, we have hope. And sometimes we need the support of others, but we have the hope we need to persevere through the challenges that this world continues to throw at us. And if you were to keep this in mind in my closing, is that the adversary is doing exactly what he was designed to do. Don't fall prey to it. Find those platforms to build the spiritual muscle necessary to be able to weather the storm, the the worst storm that can come your way and become the oak tree that operates like a palm, that when the wind blows, the roots are so deep like an oak tree, but the branches can sway like a palm tree and not falter, not fall, and not succumb to the evil that they want to throw at you. You are somebody. You are 
special and you were created from the divine to be special. Be all that in your queerness and in the beauty of the gifts, the skills and talents that you have been given to help make a difference with others. You can find out more about Reverend Deborah's work and support it by going to tshcharlotte and the number 3.org. That's tshcharlotte3.org. Be sure to go pick up a copy of her book, Not Until You Have Walked in My Shoes, A Journey of Discovery and the Spirit of the Human Heart. You can pick that up at most online booksellers. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. To find out how you can keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear in the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next week, y'all, bye! Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.